Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Yes, that's not Jess Romero. That's Matthew Arnold. Matt, thanks for joining us today on the Terry and Jesse Show. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Terry, and, and an honor, as always. Well, you know what, Matt? We've been working so long together and sharing the gospel. I, my face still lights up when I see you. I think, there he is, going at it again. You bet. Sharing the gospel. Well, today we're going to be talking on about a great topic. It's something that I've been thinking about most of my life because... I was formed by a, a priest from Ireland who told me that good philosophy breeds good theology. And as a young man, I said, well, what do you mean by that? And uh, why is that so important? And so we're going to talk about that very thing. We're also going to talk about how it applies to what's going on in the church today, because, you know, we have a, a, a pendulum switch, if I could say that. Uh, back on November 1st, the Vote Proprio that was issued with new directives from the Pontifical Academy of Theology. And this was, uh, you know, he's calling for a, a reading and interpreting the gospel in current conditions. And so it's kind of what we talked about from the bottom up rather than from the top. And how is this affecting, uh, you know, moral teachings? How does this affect us in our study of the Word of God? So we're going to be talking about that and much, much more. Matthew, um, before I have the good to, uh, good to know file, uh, I will just say that you know when we talk about the study of God, we're going to chat also about Saint Thomas. I didn't say you were an expert on Thomas, but <laughs> we could we could actually have you talk a little bit about his approach, which the church has used for hundreds and hundreds of years and has been very successful in uh, orderly expanding who God is and our responsibilities to God, you know, and this right. is something I think we could share today, and I think our church would really benefit with a Thomistic approach, and I would just say Bishop Fulton Sheen would be a good example of how Thomas taught him at the University of Louvain when he was a university student. Uh, that kind of set the tone for Sheen to really share the gospel. And people say to me, man, that guy's so amazing. He brings such high thoughts to the low level of anybody could understand it. But I think that Thomas Aquinas is the guy that affected Bishop Sheen more than any other saint. Now, I could stand correct, be corrected on the air, Matt, but I, I really think Thomas had that huge effect on Sheen, and it was, was really the saint that had him think so clearly. Well, I would agree. I think that... Uh... After he published his thesis, which then, you know, was, became a book, G.K. Chesterton wrote the foreword for it, just to give you an idea of the, the sort of company that right. he would keep as an unknown young priest, mm -hmm. you know, that, that he became uh, really to be considered the preeminent Thomistic scholar of the 20th century. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. Well, let's let's get some soul food in our souls with the gospel. And, you know, Matthew, I just want to set the stage. You've helped me out many times when Jesse's out of town. Jesse's out so much because he's preaching. But I love mm -hmm. our format. We give people the good news, the gospel. We give them some quotes from Fulton Sheen. We talk about the cultural issues of the day, things happening in the church, and then our solution on the last segment where we always talk about it's Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the light. So it just seems to me that this format, I think, is just what the church needs because people need answers with clarity on the issues of the day. So let's take the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, please. All right. Uh, Jesus entered the synagogue. Mm -hmm. 
There was a man there who had a withered hand. They watched Jesus closely to see if he would cure him on the Sabbath mm -hmm. so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, come up here before us. Then he said to the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath rather than to do evil, to save life rather than to destroy it? But they remained silent, looking around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately took counsel with the Herodians against him to put him to death. Thus far the words of the Holy Gospel. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so, you know, I, I love Mark's Gospel. <laughs> you know that on, on my program, which is now on Mondays at 10. Yeah, by good the point. Yes. <laughs> Those of you who are paying attention. Um, uh, I typically do the uh, gospel for the upcoming Sunday in the extraordinary form. Yep. Uh, I've been through the, the uh, liturgical calendar now several times on the program. And because I'm on Mondays now, which is like the day after mm -hmm. Sunday, I... And and because of my own experience of asking people, hey, do you remember what today's gospel was? And always getting a blank stare in return. I'm thinking it's not a bad idea to just, you know, uh, remind people about sure. the gospel for this week, right? Yeah. Something they can uh, put in their lives. And uh, but I'm doing the ordinary form gospel this year precisely because uh, that it's year B, which focuses on the gospel of Mark. Mm. And I really like Mark because he's so. It's so succinct. It's so direct and to the point. It's just no nonsense. You you look at the um, you look at the today's gospel. Jesus entered the synagogue. There was a man there with a withered hand. You know, there's no frills. Right. It's, you know, it's just all right there. Well, but there is some context here that the uh, the Pharisees had already turned against Jesus. They were jealous of his popularity. Uh, they were upset by his miracles. They they especially didn't like the authority of his teaching. Right. And, and you would think of all people, the Pharisees would have recognized the Messiah, but but they didn't. They were they refused to acknowledge him, and it was because of pride. Yeah, you know their, their status in the community was so important to them that they they lost sight of their goal as religious leaders, mm. which is to point people towards God. Yeah, which is you know I mean the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Uh, yeah, you know, they weren't willing to give up their own position and power, right. and and unfortunately, I mean you know we have to face the fact that there was also an opportunity for personal gain. Sure. Uh, in their position. Absolutely. And Jesus exposed those attitude, uh, those attitudes. So so he became their enemy right. instead of their Messiah. And they started looking for ways to try and turn people against him. You know, the, the, the Pharisees were a religious group that was very zealous in following the Old Testament law as well as their own uh, religious traditions. Right. They respected the community, but they hated Jesus, right, precisely because he challenged their pride and their motives. And the, the one thing I wanted to, to point out here is that Scripture says that Jesus was angry. Yeah, Jesus looked about him in anger. He was angry with the Pharisees' heartlessness. Mm -hmm. You know, anger itself is is an emotion. Emotions are morally neutral, of course, right? You know, it's just it's it's a knee jerk reaction like laughter. Yep, it's not right or wrong in itself, but uh, you know, so but it it depends on what makes us angry and what we do with it. Sure. And Thomas Aquinas said that if you don't get angry at injustice, then you're not only unjust but immoral. Right. Right. There, there, there you have a you have a. a a reason when injustice happens that anger is is the right response right. but the problem is that we too often express our anger in selfish ways and, and in harmful ways right but here you see jesus what does he do he expresses his anger by correcting a problem he heals the man's hand well, he does good right as a reaction and so that's that's the message for us i think is to it, it's it's 
okay, even right to be angry about things sometimes, especially about injustice. But we have to harness that anger and find constructive solutions rather than use it to tear people down. Well said. Well said. Uh, and finally, in, in the last verse, Jesus uh, or it tells us that uh, the Pharisees conspired with Herodians. Yes. And the supporters of Herod were, uh, you know, that was a political party that right. was a, you know, trying to hope to, uh, hoping to restore Herod the Great's line to the throne. And so Jesus was a threat to them, but they were the natural enemy of the Pharisees. But the two of them were willing to join forces against Jesus precisely because he exposed them both for what they really were. <laughs> well said, Matt. All right, folks, let's bring the smartest guy into the room right now. Oh, Sheen ahead. Remember Bishop Sheen's statements that we give every day. Many of them are 70 years old, okay? Long time ago. But it, folks, take a listen and say, wow, he's spot on in 2024. This is on mm -hmm. socialism. He says, as men become indifferent to right and wrong, uh, do you have that in our culture right now? Yes. <laughs> Disorder and chaos increase? Yes. And the state steps in to organize the chaos by force? Yes. Dictatorships arise in such a fashion. Such is the essence of socialism, the compulsory organization of chaos. Hmm. Well, you know, well put. Matthew, I'm telling you, how does he come up with these statements, you know, that are almost like, you know, there's no expiration date on it. It just seems well, to be. Precisely. That, that's just it. The truth doesn't change. No. And, and, you know, so, and that's kind of the point of, of religion and theology. Yes. I mean, we want to get closer to God. We want to, we want to save our souls. I mean, that's yeah. the salvation of souls, greater glory to God. That's the, that's the only real motive right. for religion, for theology, for morality, all, you know, that's yep. the thing that should be paramount mm -hmm. in our minds and in our actions. But the simple fact is that the truth doesn't change. Our circumstances change. Yeah. But the truth that we apply to those circumstances does not. That's right. It's immutable. And that's, you know, that's kind of anathema to the modern idea that everything is always evolving, that everything is in flux, that nothing is certain. Right. And that's kind of the postmodern enterprise is that people are just confused. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're here for. They don't know, you know, that, that God is... It, meant to be their ultimate goal and they focus so much on their own life you know it's uh what's the expression you can't see the forest for the trees yes well said and you know it reminds me of an article i just read from catholic world report because we're going to be talking about you know these the steadfast teachings of christ okay but this uh, mr um olson convert to the catholic faith says welcome to the church of perpetual change and confusion and what he mm. meant by that is we have to get back to the fundamentals that we're doing too many changes. It doesn't do well for the flock to have today, this is what we believe, tomorrow, this is what we believe. No, that's not what we believe as Catholics. And sometimes we see it coming in that way. So stay with us, family. We're going to talk about good philosophy that brings good theology. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. Matt Arnold sitting in for Jess Romero. Stay with us, family. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Matt Arnold sitting in for Jesse today. What a great topic. Uh, the topic is good philosophy brings good theology. And I was taught that when I was a teenager. And the priest was telling me that, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the seminary, he said, we would never go into 
to um, uh, theology without having a good philosophical background and a Thomistic approach because it helped us understand who God is. So, Matt, tell us why uh, it's a good idea with Thomas Aquinas as the model that we should have a good philosophical background before we start studying theology. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that um, the Church doesn't really have an official uh, theology or an official philosophy, but if it did, it would be Thomism. Oh, yeah. I think that was that's been uh, well expressed by a, a long line of popes going all the way back to uh, you know certainly uh, Pope Saint Pius V, uh, and even before that, yeah. uh, you know uh, John the Twenty Second, uh, uh, before before Thomas's canonization, right? Said that his life was was saintly, and his, and his he said his doctrine can only be miraculous, right? Because he enlightened the Church more than any of the other doctors. And 1917, same year that the uh, promulgated the code of canon law right. Thomism really was oh, embraced yeah. as the way to approach uh catholic theology and and it's because it is uh you know it has the virtue of being systematic it's it's it is um theology was considered a science in fact the queen of the sciences because uh, of all the sciences it's, it's the most important because it has god as its object and and uh, Tom, Thomism uses all of the philosophical tools of principles and proofs and axioms and deductions and premises and conclusions. That's right. Uh, you know, and, and applies all of that to our our study of our relationship with God. And the thing is that modernism kind of detests the idea oh, big time. Of, of immutable or unchanging truth that's yeah. perennially valid. Exactly. You know, for the modernists, nothing's ever fixed. Everything is constantly evolving. So they love novelty because they they really believe that the only constant is change. Yes. And so they, they they chafe under the idea of objective certainty, and as a consequence, they tend to generate doubt and confusion, uh, particularly through ideas that are ambiguously expressed, if you will. Well, I'm going to uh, you know, but 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 Thomism is is just the antithesis of that. Exactly. I love that uh, Pius V yeah. uh, during the Council of Trent um, is the one who declared him a doctor of the Church, and he said he was the most brilliant light of the Church whose works are the most certain rule of Christian wow. doctrine, That's by which he enlightened the apostolic church and answering conclusively n numberless errors. Yeah. So if, if these numberless errors have uh, conclusive, have been answered conclusively, why are we still debating them? That's my question. That's a great well, question. Moving on to things that really do uh, matter by, by starting with what we know as our basis. Well, I'm going to give you an answer because <laughs> we now have... Uh, a different approach to theology. We have been, and this is officially now coming out through uh, Pope Francis's, uh, you know, the administration or the pontificate of Francis, November 1st, where he came out and said, we're going to have a, a, a different approach to doing theology from like an experiential experience of how we look at things rather than some kind of dogmatic approach. And so what... Um, has happened is we he doesn't like the idea of of that it's black and white in other words this is wrong this is right he looks at this idea of circumstances to a point that's extreme situation ethics and we've always uh, stayed away from that because we we know our human nature is to always give us a break and, and take the easy right. way out that's just our human nature and sure. so I wanted to bring up an example. On Sunday, the Holy Father was on television in Italy. 
and we brought this up yesterday, and he, he said, you know, he hopes, and this is, let me give you the exact quote. He says, I'd like to think of hell as being empty. Well, you know, uh, it's a personal opinion. It's, it's not with the, what the church teaches. But how does he come to that conclusion? Uh, because in that same interview, he said the act of contrition is too harsh. We, we, we need to change that prayer. And I'm thinking, well, I don't quite get what he's saying because uh, we need contrition to be able to get mercy. Mercy doesn't come without having a contrite heart. And so mm-hmm. I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that somehow his philosophy that was given to him, I know he spent some time in Germany, which is probably not a good thing. <laughs> but uh, and, and then I want to throw one more thing, and maybe I'm throwing too much at you, Matt, but liberation <laughs> theology down in South America was quite popular in the 60s and 70s. And it was condemned by the church. And I think um, the Pope Francis was, was, let's say, influenced by that to a point where uh, his philosophy is giving us bad theology. Uh, yeah, bad theology. So that's my take on what's going on with that. Well, you know, uh, we, th- what you're talking about is a motu proprio, yep. uh, which is, say, a document that is— November 1st. On, yeah, it's issued on the Pope's own authority. Yep. And it's called Ad Theologium Promovendum. And it is, it's, it's essentially an instruction for the Pontifical Academy of Theology. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the, the very first sentence of the very first paragraph. Oh, my God, you got to say it. Promoting theology in the future cannot be limited to abstractly reproposing formulas and schemes of the past. Called to prophetically interpret the present, <clears throat> pardon me, and glimpse the new itineraries for the future in light of Revelation Theology will have to confront profound cultural transformations. Right. Pardon me. Aware that, mm-hmm. quote, we are living, what we are living through is not simply an era of change, but a change of epoch, unquote. And at that oh, point, he's, he's quoting himself. Yeah. From, yeah. from uh, an address to the Roman Curia back in 2013. Yes. <clears throat> so what's being said there? What he's saying is that... Uh, Traditional theology is no longer sufficient because we've entered a new epoch. This is a new age, a new world order, if you will. Wow! And so we we can't uh, we can't depend upon you know uh, abstractly reproposing formulas and schemes of the past. But the point is, of course, that that's not what uh, uh, scholastic traditional theology is doing. No, what they're doing is applying what is certain, mm-hmm. right? The certain knowledge of Revelation. To the current circumstances. Right. It doesn't ignore the circumstances. No. It applies the truth to them. Uh, as opposed to, in, in this document later, he refers to concrete circumstances as a theological locus, mm-hmm. which is to say a theological place, which means a source, a place from which theology proceeds. Right. And and unfortunately, that 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 leads you to all sorts of, of erroneous conclusions. Yes. And Matthew, one of the things it says is calling for a reading of interpreting the gospel in current conditions. You, you alluded to that earlier, but it seems to me that the church has always asked the question, when we read the Bible, how does this apply to me in my life? But that doesn't right. mean that we say, well, in my life, uh, adultery is okay. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't, you know, <laughs> right. that's not what we're talking about, applying right. it. We're applying I, it to in this. My, in my circumstances, yeah. Yeah, we're applying that, that God's commandments are not suggestions. They're not dependent hmm. upon how I take them. No, it's objective truth. 
that that right. Is, well, like, you put you put your finger on it, and then you you just said a lot of things. <laughs> so <laughs> right, I I'd like to tell you to try and tackle them in a way that makes sense. So I'm going to start with the last one first. Yeah. That you're applying what's uh, what's uh, known to your own circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. That is um, what you're talking about. Is if I can if I can use a modern term is is reading the Bible existentially. Yeah. Right. And I and I've long been a perform proponent of that. Okay. You know, reading the Bible and then applying it to your own life, that, that's where the rubber meets the road with, oh, with yeah. the Bible reading. Oh, yeah. um, it's devotional. It's not, it's not theological. It's not systematic. Right. But, but it's the most fruitful for the average believer, right? That's what the priest's homily is supposed to do. He's going to say, here's the, here's the readings. Here's how they fit together. Here's how it applies to you. That's kind of the formula that you're, yeah. that you're looking for. So, yes, but that's the thing is what I'm doing is taking the gospel and applying it to my life. I'm not applying my life to the gospel. I'm not judging the gospel based on my life. I'm, I'm judging my life based on the gospel. And that isn't harsh or wrong, right. because what you said, it's objective. Yes. The objective truth. That, that's the point of, of Thomism, is that it is uh, a philosophy of realism. Yeah. It assumes that things really exist outside <laughs> of our experience of them. See, all the skeptical philosophies basically judge everything by by your own personal experience. Yes. Right? And that's, you know, the age-old question. If a tree falls in the forest yeah. and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, the answer is yes, it does. Absolutely. Because, because uh, we, we know things about, objectively, about trees and, and the noise they make when they hit the ground. Sure. It, you know, it, that's outside of our experience. Yeah. It is objectively true. That's right. And so how I feel about it doesn't even enter into the equation. Where what I feel about it does enter the equation is my culpability. Great point. Yep, you, you nailed know, it there. It's like, you know, I, the, the, the rules, of, you know, the laws of God are not there to, to, to punish me when I do wrong. They're, they're there to, to, to keep me on the straight and narrow. They're there to make me happy. Right. They're there to, 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 to see to it that I can have a relationship with God Almighty. That's pretty big. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, that's the most important thing that there is or even could be. But it's clear that that my way to God is not the way exactly to God, you know. And that's the whole thing. That's what makes Christianity different from other religions. It's not about us reaching out to God blindly, stumbling around looking for the truth. It's about God saying, "Hey, I'm going to reveal this to you." Right. Right. And that's the other thing that the Thomism did is that he, uh, you know, it, it's a marriage of Athens and and Jerusalem. Right. You've got the the yeah. The, the the faith of the, the Hebrews that is uh, fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. And you've got the philosophy of, of the Greco-Roman world right. to help you understand reality. Mm -hmm. So so what Thomas is saying, look, you can, with certainty, <laughs> come to know that God exists through the use of reason alone. Right, exactly. Right, without, without a lick of, you can know that there has to be a God. Yes. But there are things about God that we only know because he chooses to reveal them to us. Amen. And, and and that's to 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 try and 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 get your way to God. You know, it's it's kind of Pelagianism. Yes, it is. I, I'm going I'm going to save myself through my yeah. circumstances yeah. and my understanding, rather than saying what is it that God wants of me, and and when I fall short of that, I you know I, I examine my conscience. Yeah. And I make an act of contrition and say I'm sorry I didn't live up to this, and I'm gonna I'm you know I'm gonna try and do better in the future and cooperate with your grace. Right. I, I, you know what? What? What's? Where's the harshness there? Right. I'll give you an example of that. Netherlands. Okay. Before 1960, the the country of the Netherlands was sending 800 missionary priests all over the world to evangelize people. Wow. 
<laughs> now look at the Netherlands, who's now using the principle that you're talking about, where basically I decide what you know is right and what is wrong, <clears throat> and uh, the, the church doors are closed, the seminaries are closed, uh, very few people are going to church. The average age of a person going to church in the Netherlands, over 80 years of age. Mm. See, they were, that. remember the oh. Dutch Catechism back in the 60s they put out? Right. This is an example of when you leave Thomism, I mean, my opinion, and mm. that's what I saw there. So, uh, wow, that's incredible. You're, you're giving a good teaching, teaching on this, Matt. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about when people go to hell, who sends them there? And why is it, what scripture shows us that, that hell actually uh, not only exists, but there are many souls going to hell? And, um, and much, much more here on the Terry and Jesse Show that should apply to all of us to have imperfect contrition. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. I gave you a teaser about saying how to avoid hell in one lesson. <laughs> well, not really, but I wanted to uh, actually just discuss this because, like I said, the Holy Father, who we pray for every day, uh, says that, you know, I'd like to think of an empty hell, meaning that, you know, no one goes to hell. And then I used the analogy that St. John Paul II was asked that question about, do you think there are many souls in hell? Do you think they and he said, well, I'd like to think that most people would go to heaven, but that's not what the Bible says. And I'm going to go through four or five scripture verses that uh, identify that, what John Paul II said. But Matthew, can we talk a little bit about uh, the logistical aspect of, of hell and how uh, individuals, um, you know, a, a priest, a pope, uh, you know, we don't go to hell because we've been condemned by someone else. It seems to me that it's our actions we decide. Can you talk a little bit about free will and how, you know, hell is really the mercy and justice of God together? Right. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I can do that. I mean, can yeah. you do that? Um, the, uh, well, okay, just, just for starters, we'll go back to, to that television interview with the yeah, Holy Sunday Father. Nights, right. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in Italian, of course. Um, in, in English translation, the, the presenter. Yeah said to him, it's difficult to imagine hell, to imagine a father who condemns yeah. for eternity. Right. And then the Pope's reply was, you know, what I'm about to say is not a dogma of faith, something I hold personally, which I like. Mm -hmm. I like to think hell is empty. It's a pleasure. I hope it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and that's kind of a glib response. You know, I, I like to imagine that I can fly like Superman, but I don't really hold out any hope <laughs> for that because, <laughs> because uh, you know, my, my, faith in my experience tells me otherwise. Yeah. And that's the thing. Here's, you know, and, and despite I mean, some folks are, 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 you know, go along on the beam here. Francis hasn't lost the papacy. You know, he's not saying there's no hell. Um, he's saying that he likes to imagine that it's empty. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on, though, to say that he hopes that it is. And th my question is, you know, first things, why? Why answer the question in that way? And, and it seems, you know, it's difficult for me. And I'm going to talk about this in some detail on my program on, on Monday. <clears throat> but um, it seems like that answer is intended to mollify people like that presenter who are repelled by the idea of divine justice. Right. I mean, I mean, maybe not. But if not, then why not simply answer with the teaching of the church? Right. I mean, catechism, a Catholic church, paragraph 
what is it, 1033. I think it is that. That's on hell. Yeah. It says very clearly, hell is not a punishment inflicted by God, right. but rather the result of the person's free choice to reject God's love and salvation. So true. Right. So that official answer emphasizes the fact that, uh, that God respects human freedom. That's right. Big time. So he doesn't force anybody into a relationship with him. And number two, he doesn't condemn anyone to hell. On the contrary, hell is the consequence of that definitive rejection of his grace and a refusal to repent of your sins. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a formula. It's, it's just what happens. If you step off a cliff, you'll fall. Yep. Right? I mean, and, and, that's, and is it God's fault because he created gravity? Yeah. You know, uh, and, and in the same way, what, what possible harm could it have done to anyone for Francis to just state the teaching of the church unambiguously. Right. And by clear up the confusion caused by this ugly caricature of God as an unforgiving father. I mean, yeah. it's, it's inconceivable to me that the Pope in Rome would hedge on a question yeah. that's so integral to the salvation of souls. I mean, yeah. he is the Pope after that's right. all. That's right. He's got a responsibility. We pray for him. And, you know, even his personal opinions at the end of time, you know, when the restoration comes, his idea is that hell will cease to exist. That's his personal preference, but that's not what the Catholic Church teaches, Matt. Right? Yeah. Unfortunately, again, this this is that this is that uh, consequence of this experiential or quote unquote right. the fruit of it, the bad approach to theology. That how many times have you heard someone, even a, a fellow Catholic, say, "Well, my God wouldn't do that." Oh yeah. I was like, "Well, I'm sorry, but your God is is a is a chimera. It's it's a it's an idol, really." Yeah. You know, I don't create an image of God for myself that I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I do my best to be in relationship with the actual God, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that it isn't just about, oh, I have to follow all the rules. It's about, oh, no, I'm going to, to be in this relationship of genuine love. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then you're going to want to do what, what, uh, what love demands. And if I might add some scripture backing of what you're saying, because what you're saying is make sense, but I'm going to go a little a step above your comments to the Bible. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and those who enter through it are many. How narrow the gate and constricted is the road that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, Matt, if that's not talking about hell, I must be missing something, but that's, that's a biblical view. Before I go to the next one, your thoughts on that scripture verse. Well, it's really important. I mean, because what would have followed if the apostles had come to Jesus and said, Lord, are, are there a few saved? And he said, nah, it's pretty much everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at that point, it's like that, that would, it sort of makes mincemeat out of the, yeah. you know, out of the rest of his ministry. Right. Doesn't it? What did he come to save us from? Right. What you're referring to, Matt, in Luke chapter 13, 23 to 28, when someone asked our Lord, will only a few people be saved? And he answered them, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will attempt <clears throat> to enter, but will be, will, will be not strong enough. After the master of the house has arisen, lock the door, then you will stand outside knocking and saying, Lord, open the door for us. He will say to you in reply, I do not know you where you are from. And you will say, we ate, we drank in your company. And you taught in our streets. Then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. 
and you yourselves cast out. That scripture verse says it pretty blunt. I mean, yeah, boom, right? wow. You're, I, now, do you, on your uh, on your yeah. little list of, of Bibles there, do you have the parable of, uh, of Dives and Lazarus in there? I do not. I have. I think I think that's another. That's, I, that's right. another, uh, a, a good My, indicator mm-hmm. that, that uh, he he tells us this parable. Yeah. About about uh, uh, a poor man that dies and goes to Abraham's bosom. Of course, yep. this is before the gates of heaven are open. Right. So he goes to uh, the, the the paradisical part of the underworld, and the rich man that you know walked over and around him uh, all of his life and never did lifted a finger to help him winds up in the hell of the damned. Yeah. And and the the rich man calls out to to Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back to warn my brothers. And he's going, no, you know, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. That's right. He said, but they won't listen to Moses and the prophets. He said, well, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, then they won't listen to someone who rises from the dead. Mm-hmm. The point is that he, uh, the point that I wanted to make is that Good. within that conversation, Abraham says to the rich man, there is a, a, a chasm, a gulf between you and me that no one can pass. Wow. So, okay, it's very clear. Now, I understand this is a parable. Mm-hmm. But it's very clear that he's referring to a soul that is in the hell of the damned. Yes. And 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 treating that as a reality. You know, the catechism again, uh, you know, the, the nature of hell is a state of eternal suffering and loss, uh, the state of definitive self-exclusion from uh, communion with God and the blessed. And they use the biblical images yeah. to express, you know, uh, to convey the seriousness and the permanence of hell, yeah. eternal punishment, the second death, eternal fire, right? But the Catechism also acknowledges that descriptions of hell in Scripture and, and in the Church's tradition are symbolic. They're metaphorical. In, in other words, it's like, you know, as bad as we paint hell, it's worse. Yep. <laughs> They're trying to, conde- right. to convey a reality that surpasses yeah. human experience, okay, speaking of context. And the primary focus is on this internal separation from God. That's the central aspect of hell. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that, that through your own freedom of choice that you would— Condemn yourself to eternal separation from God. If we're giving you hell, it's because we want to avoid hell. Okay, that's what oh, we're amen. doing. Okay, and and your young people who you have um, children, they should hear these verses because this should really wake people up. That you know this idea of universal salvation that everybody goes to heaven—that's just false. So here's the next one from Romans, Romans nine twenty-seven and twenty-eight. And Isaiah cried out concerning Israel. Through the number of the Israelites were like the sand of the sea. Only a remnant will be saved. For decisively and quickly will the Lord execute sentence upon the earth. Again, um, these are quotes that you don't hear very often in the church today, Matt. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. I don't think people hear these enough. Or John 6, this is another beautiful one. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you twelve? Yet is not one of you a devil? He was referring to Judas, son of Simon of Iscariot. It was he who would betray him, one of the twelve. Now, I've heard a lot of commentary on that verse, Matthew. But mm-hmm. people try to justify, say, well, actually, we don't know for sure. Okay, I get it. We don't know because I'm not judging. But the Bible makes it pretty clear that, that Judas, who betrayed Christ, is in hell from my reading. You know, maybe I'm just too simple, but it says it to me. Right. Elsewhere, our good Lord says, better for that man. You know, he says this man is going to be betrayed. Better that he had never been born. That's right. Right. If if, if Judas is is enjoying eternal beatitude, yeah. then that's nonsense. 
Yeah, I agree. That's a great point. And I don't mean to, like, again, I'm, I'm bringing up this hell in a way of I, I, imperfect contrition. In other words, you might, uh, I, I want to scare young people by telling <laughs> them they shouldn't go to hell. No, I, I mean that. When I've talked to young people when I was younger, I used to talk about that. They said, oh, man, is that really real? Yes. <clears throat> well, I better get my act together. I have no problem doing that, Matt. I think that sometimes we've forgotten that this is a good thing to do, and that is give the full gospel about that. Now, one other quote I'll give you. Yeah. Go ahead. Did you see sure. No, you go ahead. Okay. I was going to Matthew, you, no, no. Matthew 26. No, I, I, I didn't say anything. I, think okay. just... I misheard it. The Son of Man indeed goes as it was written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. As you just said, it would have been better for the man if he had not been born. That was the quote that you just quoted. Now, John 17, and that's the last one I'll give, is when I was with them, I protected them in your name that you gave me, and I guarded them, and none of them was lost except the son of destruction in order that Scripture might be fulfilled. If if Judas made it to heaven, uh, the Bible sure doesn't present that. And yeah, those, amen. Yeah, so all of us want to get to heaven. How do we do it? Live in the state of grace. How do you do that? We're going to talk about it when we come back for our last segment because that's what we talk about. Solutions to the problem. What is it? The problem of hell? The answer is heaven. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Actually, Matt Arnold sitting in. For Jess Romero today, we're having a great conversation. We're sitting at the breakfast nook, okay? And you're joining us, folks. And we're really talking about what ultimately is the the ultimate question, how to get to heaven and avoid hell. And I, I bring this up because as I get closer to Christ, and I try to do that every day of my life, and I know, Matt, you try to do that, and I'm sure many of our listeners are trying to live holier lives. You know what I've noticed? <clears throat> that I realize how imperfect I am. What I mean by that is I have so much more to go to get closer to Christ. I'm, I go to confession more often. Uh, I go several times a month. Why? Is it because I'm a great sinner? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I know, but I know <laughs> that I can offend God in ways that uh, maybe maybe 40 years ago, I wasn't at that stage where I realized I was doing bad things in a sense of uh, in, in imperfect things, or even just things that needed to be changed in my life. I'm still working on those. But the question I have to you, Matthew, is how in the world can we uh, help people with, you know, Scripture, with the sacraments? How can we help people realize this line that I use all the time, that life is short and eternity is forever? Because we we hear in the world and in the church many people saying that don't worry about your sins, it's all covered by Christ. I mean, what? I thought that was a Protestant version. No, it's, it, you know, I'll give you an example. A guy tells me, a friend of mine calls me, he says, I went to confession. And the priest says, oh, we don't consider that a sin anymore. Mm. Uh, what? And I know we've all had that experience. So how do we stay focused on what we would consider a biblical worldview of salvation, Matt? Interesting. A couple of things. The uh, first thing that jumps out at me is that... Uh... Uh, I went to confession just recently over here at, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, uh, attend 
Sunday mass, Sundays and holy days at a, at a church. Sure. It's uh, you know quite down the road a ways because yeah. they offer the extraordinary form of mass there, and, right. and I really like to yeah. I like the priests and the way that they administer the sure. parish. But when I go to confession, I don't drive all the way yeah. down, you know, to to South County. I go to the church at the most convenient mass or confession time. Sure. And it, it it is I have noticed that the younger priests that are in those confessionals yeah. are a lot more. They're a lot less likely to say something's not a sin. Yeah, I've noticed that too. I can, I can Older the guys are the ones that are swinging back, you know. Yep. And and that's and that's a good sign. That so that's, a good sign. that's one thing I wanted to say. Good. Uh, the other thing is that yeah, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, you, how many times do people say, "Well, fear of the Lord"? That means awe. You know that you're in. Well, okay, wait a second. What does that really mean? I mean, you know, let's. Uh, did you see Wizard of Oz when you were a kid? Oh, of course we did. Course. Remember how? Remember the way Dorothy and, and the Scarecrow and the yeah. others. You remember the attitude they had when they were before Oz? Oh yeah, that's awe. Yeah. Okay, and it's very akin to fear. Oh yeah. You know, fear, fear. Sure. You know, because you're going. Well, I'm not worthy to be here. I don't. I don't belong here. Right. You're face to face with God. Holy smoke. Okay. So, and you said that you are. It's not that you're a bigger sinner, but that you're more aware. I'm more of aware way, of my, my which you offend God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and, and that's just it. You know, you don't become scrupulous over age, and 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 maybe some of the things that you confess are not sins outright. What we would think of as sins, certainly not mortal sins. Right, venial things. But you know, you go to confession to to you know you can confess your faults. That's right. You can confess your shortcomings. That's right. It's it's not that those things are going to keep you out of heaven, but, right. but when you receive the absolution, you get that actual grace. It's going to help you to overcome those uh, failings and shortfallings to become yep. more perfect. That's what holiness is. Yep. Right, and that's what we're that's what we're into. What does Jesse say? Be, uh, be holy or die trying. Die trying. Yeah. Get holy or die trying. Uh, and so you know, so I just wanted to kind of contextualize things. You know. Uh, to use a certain uh, turn of phrase, mm -hmm. uh, before I went on to say this, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, right? And it is a uh, it is always a question amongst you know Protestant communities why why are people come you know Protestants entering the Catholic Church? You know they scratch their heads why right. we know why is that happening? And uh, I read an article about it recently. It was interesting because they I think they were way off. Sure, you know I mean. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said there's a, a thousand reasons to become Catholic. They all boil down to one because it's true. Exactly. I love that line. But, but you, it's not just, okay, yep. here's the, here's scripture, tradition, magisterium. Mm -hmm. Boom. And then you, they, you do the intellectual linchpin, you know, the penny drops. And then you say, okay, now I'm going to do it. There's a lot of stuff going on in Catholicism that are not scripture or tradition i mean it's not the traditional or, or the uh, the official teaching of the church but they are motives of credibility the papacy was a great motive of credibility for me that is part of the teaching of the church mm -hmm. to realize that the bible didn't fall from the sky uh, uh that that the that the catholic church didn't take this book and 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 make up a religion based on it but rather th that christ founded the religion and the book is the product of that mm -hmm. exactly. see that was that was a, a big big change uh, yeah a big change in 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 my thinking of course but you know, faith, of course, is a gift from God. That's that's something I got because I prayed for it. Yep. Uh, and 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 not because I earned it. Nope. But there are all those motives of credibility. Mm -hmm. Praying the Holy Rosary, mm -hmm. the saints. Yes. Uh, you know the the Western civilization, <laughs> for example. You know the the great impact that that the theology of the Church had upon the world. You know, I mean, all of that stuff. These are great, you know, like, like I say, motives of credibility, and the. the the thing that I wanted to point out is that 
when those people talk about maybe there's nobody in hell or I hope that there's, yeah. you know, Hans Urs von Balthasar, sure. can we hope, dare we hope that there's there no one in hell. Yeah. Uh, well, to do so makes mincemeat of those motives of credibility like the things that the various saints have had to say about hell. Yep. Plus yep. at Virgin Mary at Fatima being, being there you know, it is. give it a, I mean, well, that's very recent. Sins of the flesh. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it's, I think that uh, we can't, we can't chuck hell, uh, you know, out of our thinking for our own safety's sake. Yeah, Matt, can I ask you to be a little intimate with our listeners about your devotion to the Imitation of Christ uh, book and how that has helped you as a convert? Could you share a little bit of that? You know, uh, people, everybody says you need to, when I came into the church, everybody said you need to find a, a spiritual director. You need a spiritual director. Yeah. Uh, and I got to tell you right now, that's easier said than done. Oh, you're not that right. You know, the priests that I know are busy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't necessarily have time to, to sure. sit with me and, and, you know, sort out my own personal life. You know, it's yeah. like, well, let's do my sermons, come to confession, you know, uh, practice your faith, do the right thing, right? Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> but, and I was looking, and when I discovered the imitation of Christ, for me, and it's not, that's not the book for everybody. No. You know, but because because of my personality, I'm very choleric type, mm -hmm. and I need that kick in the pants. Sure, we all you know, and it's like, and of course, it's it's largely a pastiche of Holy Scripture, and then uh, Thomas Akempis, the author, uh, his take on it, right? And and the imitation is taken from his advice that was given to young religious, to people who were coming into the religious life, right. and it's it's broadly applicable. And I read from the Imitation of Christ pretty much every day. And once I get all the way through it, I just start over. Because, you know, I, I'm never going to live long enough to, to, to really embrace everything that's there. And again, talking about context, as my situation changes, yes. things in the Imitation of Christ become clearer to me or more applicable to right. me. You know, maybe maybe 10 years ago, this was not an issue, but but now it is. Mm -hmm. And so, and it, and it's there all the time. And it, and it you know it just it helps to keep me grounded. I spiritual reading outside the Holy Bible. You need to read scripture. I yeah. think every day. Sure. Uh, and there's ways to you know certainly participating in the church's liturgy, whether it's the mass or or the liturgy of the hours or just reading the readings, sure. uh, is going to enable you to to do that in an effective way, uh, and to do it within the church. You know, in the context of of living the the Catholic life, all of which is important. But I think that. That spiritual reading outside of that. Uh, uh, Thomas Kempis says that we must not uh, shun simple and devotional books. Right. You know, that you shouldn't be too proud to read something that's simple and devotional right. because, it, because it has something to say to you. Sure. You no. Know? And, and you know, so, what, yeah, yeah, it's because it's an important part of my life. For sure. It is, Matt. And you know, I, I want to just encourage all of our listeners with all the chaos going on in the world and the church. To do that, uh, spiritual reading, meditation uh, before the Blessed Sacrament, if possible, uh, there, because what you're going to find is your focus is not going to be on scandals. Your focus right. is not going to be on, how do I get closer to Jesus Christ? And here's the advice I give every day of my life, telling myself, every day, ask Jesus Christ for stronger faith. Mm -hmm. Because you mm -hmm. need to do that or your faith won't grow. This is what I... Yesterday, we talked about a lot of people leaving the church because of scandal. Well, the challenge is, is, is that they're leaving the church uh, because of scandal. That tells me, and I'll just be honest with you, that their faith is not grounded deeply in the roots of Jesus Christ. They're looking right. to Father, the Bishop, the Pope. Come on, Matt. Last time I looked at my exit interview, 
the your priest won't be there, the bishop won't be there, the pope won't be there. It'll be with you and Jesus Christ. Your That's judgment right. will be made between those. And so this is why we need to stay focused on our love for Jesus Christ and our knowledge of Jesus Christ and the scripture and the saints are the great this is a good one two punch in the mm-hmm. sense of of studying your faith and being strong in your faith. So I would uh, imitation of Christ. I think we put it on cassette tape many years ago and on CD. I, and I think you're the one who read it. Is that correct? No, actually, it was. Uh, um, oh gosh, I don't remember his name. Mark Tahaney. Yeah, Mark Tahaney. Oh, I bet you guys mixed up. So another great voice. voice. Yeah, he's, yeah, he was a priest in the archdiocese. Man, we go back way that's, too many. I, years. I'll, I'll tell you right now, Terry. That's what turned me on to the imitation of Christ was listening to those. Ah, there you go. Well, <laughs> uh, folks, I'm going to try and get that available for our people to get downloads by going to yeah, we got to find that and, and uh, catholicrc.org. If it's not there, it will be there. I'll have Anthony stick that on. Folks, I want to uh, say thanks for listening. I hope this conversation that we had, okay, about holiness, about, you know, avoiding hell, getting to heaven, I mean, everything else, I mean, I'm going to recycle this plastic bottle, I promise, Matt. But you know what? <laughs> it really isn't that important. Yeah. Ultimately, what's important is the salvation of souls. As Bishop Sheen would say, if souls are saved, everything is saved. If souls are not saved, nothing is saved. That's right. That's right. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, we've been talking about the, the universal doctor. Yeah. And I will, I will give you a, just, just a, a quick sure. uh, a axiom. You've been talking about how good theology rests on good philosophy. Yes. And that's true. And what he said, and when we talk about special circumstances, he said, uh, uh, hard cases make bad law. Isn't that, uh, that's great <laughs> advice. Matt Arnold, what state should we be living in, brother? That's the state of grace, Terry. You got that answered right. <laughs> Father Murr didn't get it right yesterday, folks. Ah, we're having fun. You know what, folks? It, it Here's the bottom line. Pray your rosary. Get to the sacraments. Pray for the Holy Mother of the Church. Remember our Lady of Fatima said, souls are going to hell. We talked about hell. Because why? Because no one's there to pray and make sacrifices. We can participate in the salvific work of Jesus Christ by offering up all of our sufferings of the day? Come on, that's that's a no-brainer. Let's sign me up. I want to do that because I want to get to heaven and I want to see you there also. Matt Arnold, thanks again. Matt, tell us about, about your show on Mondays, right before the charity. Hey, yeah, No Nonsense Catholic coming up this Monday at 10 o'clock in the rocking chair between uh, Jesus 911 and the Terry and Jesse show. So Very good. Thanks, Matt. May God richly bless you and your family.